Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. I'm actually promoting culture through food because when you see food that you actually find enticing or if you've tried food that tastes good, it makes you curious about where did it come from? Like, how did they create this? Who are the people, you know, that created these recipes and what does it mean? And so I think with food, it just really sparks a curiosity that is unique, but it just makes people open their eyes and be more open to discovering new cultures because they're interested in the food. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Tinger Shea. She is the founder of Dash of Media, a fully integrated business solutions consultancy that provides expertise for digital marketing, influencer marketing, content creation, and experiential activations. With more than 17 years of experience working in the digital advertising industry, coupled with her personal experience creating content as a food and travel influencer, Tinger has built an international brand and served companies ranging from startups to Fortune 500 companies. As a lifelong foodie and world traveler, she is also the founder of Dash of Ting, a food and travel blog for health-conscious people looking for delicious regional cuisines and unique adventures. Tinger has traveled to over 25 countries on five continents in the past decade and is passionate about helping others create culturally diverse meals at home and find them abroad. She's been featured in BuzzFeed, Tastemade, Matador Network, Thrillist, and the list goes on. Tinger, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. That was quite an intro. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to have you here. We should set the scene and talk about where we're doing this interview from. And we have agreed to have this be an alcohol-induced interview. So we should talk about what we're drinking as well. I am based in Asheville, North Carolina, recording this tonight. And I have actually just opened a bottle of Barolo from the Piedmont region of Italy. And Barolo is made from the Nebbiolo grape. It is actually one of the first four DOCG designated wines in Italy, which happened about 40 years ago. They started designating them that way. So one of the originals and uh, a really nice bottle for our interview tonight. But where are you tonight, Tinger, and what are you drinking? First of all, Matt, you sound super fancy. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't have wine, but I'm based in Los Angeles in Venice Beach, and I am drinking um, mezcal and not just any mezcal. I'm drinking black mezcal that you can only get from Mexico because they do not sell it in the US. So I'm not trying to one up you, but <laughs> I'm also trying to be lucky for this as well. <laughs> well, I had to bust out something special for tonight with a food and wine connoisseur on the podcast. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, I had to I had to step my game up a notch, but I do love, love, love a good mezcal. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about that, because I feel like 
I really didn't know much about Mezcal until I spent extended time in Mexico. So can you talk a little bit about what Mezcal is in general and then about the specific one that you're drinking tonight? Sure. So you want to think of mezcal as like the cousin to the tequila, but the tequila is made from the blue agave. Mezcal is actually made from a variety of agave plants. Um, and what I really love about mezcal is it reminds me of eating and drinking at the same time. What that actually means is when you drink it, it has the same similar palate as tequila, but it also has an additional smoky flavor to it. And I just absolutely love it because like, you know, I'm a travel food blogger. So if I can mix the two like food and drink together, this is what it reminds me of. That's so awesome. Well, I love that you're doing this from Venice Beach, too, because it is one of my favorite places in the world. I lived in L.A. for about seven years Part of that time was on Venice Beach, and I just have the most amazing memories of Venice Beach. I lived literally a block from the boardwalk, and I was woken up every morning by the sound of the music buskers, and I would jog up and down Venice Beach every single day. And it's really, even with all of my world travels, it is perhaps the single greatest people watching place on the planet of Earth that I have ever been. It's just amazing, and I love it. Hands down, I totally agree. You know, I used to live in Orange County, and as much as I loved living there because it's clean and family oriented, it just doesn't have that, you know, that uniqueness and a little slightly grittiness that Venice has, which I love because it reminds me of traveling. You see such an eclectic group of people in just one small community. So, yeah. And I think secretly I'm a hippie at heart too. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Well, let's use this to go back and talk about your story, Tinger. Can you talk a little bit about where you grew up and as you were coming up, how did your interest in food and travel develop? Sure. So I was originally born in Taiwan and my parents, actually my dad was getting his PhD degree in the US. And so eventually our whole family came here and then he decided with my mom, of course, to work full time here. And so we just ended up staying here. I want to say my first glimpse or just knowledge about other countries was actually from my aunt. So interestingly enough, I have relatives in Brazil. So (laughs) I wouldn't say I'm part Brazilian, but I have relatives in Brazil. And there's a huge population in Sao Paulo. And that happens to include my extended family members on my mom's side. That's amazing. And I also want to say that Sao Paulo is one of my favorite cities in the world. I spend as much time in Brazil as possible. (laughs) I've been a number of times, but it is amazing. I mean, Sao Paulo has such an incredibly diverse community and what an electric city it is. So I haven't actually been there, but I heard the food scene is spectacular. But I have been to Rio. I've probably been to Rio at least, gosh, five or six times. And it's just one of those cities I just can't if I could go back every year, I would do it. I absolutely love the energy of that city. And you know, I live by the beach. I'm a beach girl. So (laughs) I always feel drawn to go there. That is kind of the distinction, to be honest. And I will tell you, Tanger, that I agree with you. The first time I went to Brazil, I went to Rio and I went there and I stayed for two months and I literally did not leave Rio for the entire two months to see any other part of Brazil because I didn't want to miss a single day of Rio. I was like, this is too amazing. Like, this city is just ridiculous. I'm not leaving for a single day. And then after my two months in Rio, I'm talking to other travelers and I'm asking them like, oh, what's your favorite city in the world? And and I started having people tell me Sao Paulo. I was like, what? I was like, you've been to Rio? They're like, yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) So I was like, I got to go to Sao Paulo. And you as a food and travel blogger, I mean, it is, I would say the only potential rival in terms of culinary cities in South America would be Lima, Peru. But other than Lima, Peru, like Sao Paulo, hands down the best food in South America. One of those two, I think they compete for the best culinary city. Wow. Okay. That's on my bucket list. I just, you know, I have friends down in Rio now. So every time I'm down there, I just want to hang out with them. (laughs) So you were saying though, so you've got your relatives in Brazil and Mm -hmm. your aunt was the one that initially kind of inspired your interest in travel. And then how did that evolve from there? Yeah. So actually she was the one who also told me like, Hey, 
whenever we watch World Cup or soccer, you have to root for Brazil. So that's part of how the love of soccer started for me was because of my aunt, my aunt Sophia. But every traditional Asian parent or Taiwanese American um, family, they want you to go the more traditional route. And so my parents wanted me to be a computer science major, which I tried in Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara, and it didn't work out for me. So sorry, mom and dad. But I did end up studying economics and I decided like, hey, maybe I should work in finance because that's something that was familiar with me uh, and especially to my family. So I did end up working for Smith Barney Citigroup and I thought, oh, maybe I'll become a financial advisor. But after years of working there, I just realized it was just not for me. It was not, there was too many uh, rules and restrictions and I'm a rule breaker. <laughs> so I probably wasn't the best fit either. <laughs> and then so from there, how did your career trajectory develop? Because you have a lot of experience in digital advertising and marketing and all of that. Can you sort of take us on a little bit of that career trajectory? And I'm also interested in what you ultimately learned and took from that when you made the entrepreneurial leap to start your own business. Sure. So what happened was it was probably around like 2007, 2008. I started to see that the market wasn't doing so great. And I saw that Google was doing well along with other, a few other like tech companies. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, I got to be there. And one day, one of my friends from UC Santa Barbara, he's an alum. I asked him like, you know, what have you been up to? And he's like, oh, I just got a job. It's like Santa Barbara 2.0. I just came back from a booze cruise. Everyone is around our age and I love it. I'm having so much fun. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, something on the internet. And I was like, okay, well, can I interview? Because I want to do that too. <laughs> and I interviewed and culturally we were a fit and they liked my background that I worked for a Fortune 500 company and that I got hired. Like, And literally this was about two weeks right when the market, like two weeks right before the market tanked back in 2008. So all of my financial advisors like, oh my gosh, Tinger, you, you jumped ship at the right time. And I actually ended up making more money that year than my previous years. It was definitely interesting. And my parents were like, what are you doing? Like, you need to stay at like Citigroup. And I'm like, mom, I'm making more money. She's like, but it doesn't matter. Citigroup is such a great company. And I was like, but I want to do something different. And it was just, more interesting for me. And then how did your career evolve from that point up until you decided to go into the food and travel blogging direction? Like what was sort of the path? And then how did you actually make that leap? Sure. You know, I'm so lucky that I worked in digital advertising because I got to work with a lot of Fortune 500 brands across a multitude of verticals. And, you know, I learned what brands are looking for in terms of advertising on different sites, you know, how to behaviorally target for the audience that they're looking for. And, you know, to be honest, I had like almost tiger-like mom managers. They were also Asian females, very strong managers, and they were tinger. The answer can never be no. Cause I'm like, I'm not sure how to solve this, you know, targeting issue. And they're like, figure it out, be creative. And they, they were relentless about that. And I think that came from top down. And so I just, you know, had that mentality, like, Hey, no is never an answer unless the VP or the, or the CEO says no. And so we had to get really creative in terms of advertising. And I think that was one of the pivotal moments in my career where I realized that later on in life, when things got tough, I would have to tell myself, Hey, there's no other choice. Like you can do it. Just figure out a different way. No is not an option. And how was the entrepreneurial leap for you from the decision that you wanted to start your own business up until, you know, what were the actual process of you to sort of, you know, build up to that and then transition into doing your own thing? I worked full time in advertising, but I also was on my own weight loss journey and I decided to lose weight. And the best way to do that was to get on a program and eat lower carb foods because ultimately that's what made me feel better. And when I say lower carb, I mean like simple carbs, like breads and pastas. I just noticed that when I took those types of foods away, like I just immediately felt better. I didn't feel bloated anymore. I felt more energetic. 
And then people started asking me like, Hey, how did you lose weight? Like, you know, how come you, you look more peppy and alive and no longer like a nap queen? And I told them all of the different things that I had been doing in order to get to this point. And so people started asking me to teach them. And so I decided to put those types of recipes online. And then people started asking me like, I don't have time to cook. I don't want to cook and I'm not good at cooking, what can I do to eat healthier when I go out? And so I started posting that on social media. And I was doing this part-time, you know, just more for fun. And then one day, one of my friends in the industry in advertising, she asked me, she's like, do you want to do this full-time or do you want to just do this for fun? And I said, if I could, I would love to do this full-time. So then she advised that I put together a business plan for myself to kind of get that going. And I think at the point that I decided to take that leap of faith and go on my own was when I was working at a company where we were basically pairing influencers with brands. And basically that company wanted me to pair influencers with Fortune 500 brands. And at that point, I started to you know, have a bigger presence on social media. And one day, one of my friends asked me to be on a show with him for Taste Made. And I would have to fly out to Colorado to do it. And of course, being in social media and my boss also being in social media, I knew at some point he's going to find that I'm online <laughs> doing hosting shows live and not working. And so it would probably be a conflict of interest. And I was also securing my own brand deals for <laughs> those shows. So at that point, after the first show, I decided like, you know what, I've made a decent amount of money. I've saved enough money from being in sales and advertising. I need to just take the leap of faith. I'm going to work with Tastemade, you know, more frequently to help pay my bills on top of my savings and just trust the process, trust that it's going to work out. And yeah, that's how I got started because I didn't want to legally get in trouble either. <laughs> wow. So and for folks that don't know about Tastemade, right, that is a, a global digital food and travel network, primarily for millennials, but it reaches over 100 million people a month in like 200 countries. So that was like, I mean, that's like a huge platform for folks that don't know about Tastemade. Am I right? Yeah, it was back in, gosh, I think I started back in 2015 and Tastemade started in 2012. So by the time that I was on board with Tastemade, they were huge. They were bigger than Tasty, which is part of BuzzFeed. Uh, they were the pioneers for video recipe content on social media. So every food brand wanted to be associated with them and, and travel brands as well. And then how did you initially become a host with Tastemade? So one of my friends, he his name's JJ Yosh. He's a host for a couple of different shows, and he had seen that I was posting recipes on my Facebook page, and he's like, "Tanger, we should just create like YouTube videos together." And I was like, "Yeah, we should. You know what? If we do that, why don't we try to get on TasteMade?" And he was like, "What's that?" And because I worked in advertising, I knew that they were one of the biggest properties for food and travel for millennials. And I just said, can you ask your agent? And then he mentioned to me, he's like, oh, actually they did reach out to me. And so we started working with them and bringing on products for these live shows. And then eventually it was hard for me to keep flying out to Colorado. So eventually I pitched to taste me like, Hey, by the way, I'm going to Mexico. I don't see that you have content on the cenote. How helpful would this be for your audience? And the girl replied back to me, yes, that would be great. And I said, oh, perfect, because I happened to be going there. And I think it was November, December sometime. And I said, I'm, I already have my flight booked, which was not true. And then I said, um, you know, I'm going to be out there. And then she said, you know, you have the green light, go. And then so I booked my flight and then I went and I arranged everything. You know, it's just kind of leveraging what you have, the opportunities and, you know, with a little bit of luck, making sure that everything happens, everything just fell into place. And then what was that experience like in Mexico for you at that time? It was a very interesting time period because during that time, it was right when Trump got elected and with all of the messaging that he was putting out about like Mexico and bad hombres, 
I wanted to shed a different light and share that, you know, people of different cultures and regions are good people. And so within two days after him being inaugurated, I flew out to Mexico and I did a live show in Tulum, Mexico. And it was fantastic. And people were nervous. They were like, Hey, is it going to be okay? Are you safe? And I went by myself as a woman. I went by myself and it was completely safe. I've actually met some of my closest friends in Tulum, they're locals there. And it was so cool to just show people like that you don't have to be afraid to travel. If I can do it, you certainly can do it. And don't let people in media um, sway you otherwise. That's really awesome. And then from that point, can you talk about how you built Dash of Ting and scaled your personal brand as well? Because you now have over 140,000 followers on Instagram alone. Can you talk about that process and any tips you have as well for people to do that kind of personal brand building on social media? Sure. So I definitely want to say Posting consistently does help with the algorithm on Instagram and Facebook. I think another thing that did help me a lot was to be on those bigger platforms. Because as you can imagine, the Tastemade's Facebook pages had anywhere between half a million to 1.5 million. And so I would basically encourage those audiences to come to my Instagram page. So immediately you could see an uptick in my followers. But definitely you could do the same thing by like now maybe creating posts on um, TikTok, doing a lot of collaborations, being on a variety of platforms that will funnel back to your social media channels. Those are definitely the tips that continuously um, help me grow as well. That's awesome. And then can you talk a little bit about your decision to start Dash of Media? Maybe talk about what it is, what services you offer, and what was the impetus to start that business? Yeah. So Dash of Media was birthed from the fact that I saw a lot of brands needing help to work with influencers because this was back in, gosh, a few years ago where influencer marketing was still relatively new, still relatively the wild, wild west. You didn't have a lot of those platform exchanges and brands were still trying to figure out how to successfully incorporate these creators. And then Sometimes they would have issues. Like I remember when I was working for corporate and trying to pair influencers with brands, a lot of times brands would tell me like, okay, this you know, this um, influencer is a diva. They're difficult to work with, or they just don't know where to even look for these uh, creators to help them promote their brand. So because I'm already in the community, I'm able to cherry pick the best of the best based on easy to work with, good attitude, content. Like I understand what these creators are creating, what they like, what they don't like. And then because of my background in advertising, I understand what most brands are looking for. So I was able to basically be the liaison between the two. And that way the deals could get closed and everyone could work in a more harmonious way. So that's basically how I operate I also help with the branding side and social media, but my specialty is to actually find those niche influencers for the brands who are looking for them. That's awesome. So how do companies work with you or influencers work with you like on either side of that equation? What's sort of the the framework and the platform and, and who are the ideal customers and clients for Dash of Media? Yeah. So brands and also influencers like, so influencers can like email me their media kit. Brands can also reach out to me at tinger at dashofmedia.com. My ideal client is a client who is excited about the influencer marketing and is open to trying different aspects of it. And when I say that, I mean like not just creating like a one-to-one relationship with the influencer, but something either long-term or in a, in a group campaign. That way you have more of a holistic approach as to how we can like, you know, share your brand. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes 
sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. With your audiences or multiple audiences. That's awesome. And I love the fact that you have been on both sides of this equation. You've worked in the corporate environment on the advertising and marketing side, so you understand what the companies need. And you are also personally a food and travel influencer, and you're immersed in a community with other influencers, and you understand how to sort of navigate that. So I think that's really an amazing niche that you have carved out there for yourself. It's really, really awesome. I also want to ask you, though, about some of your travel experiences in terms of the food and the travel and all the things that you are blogging about and how you built your reputation and your influence and your brand doing those types of things. One of the places that I know you and I both have spent a bunch of time and really appreciate is Morocco. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your experience there, both with the country in general and specifically with the food scene. Sure. So I went to Morocco maybe like 10 years ago before I created Dash of Ting. And I went there because I just thought it was like a sexy place to go to. It's something that I had seen in the movies and I was curious about that area. And so I went actually with an ex-boyfriend, <laughs> ex-boyfriend now, but at the time it was my boyfriend. And we went there and it was great because he could also speak Arabic. And that was my second time, maybe third time traveling outside of the country. And so to me, it was just fascinating and the people were so generous and so nice. And I remember when we got out out of the plane and into a taxi, we ended up going to a place. It looked like it sold carpets. It was very interesting, but it was also a Riyadh, which is like bed and breakfast. And on top of that had this beautiful rooftop restaurant. And when we went there, we were greeted by people playing the harp which was unique. It was probably about 70, 72 degrees outside. And it was like probably 10 o'clock at night. And then they just laid out like just plates of delicious food, like messy plates. And then after that out came this tagine that was just so, we had two, we had like this chicken, chicken and almond and lemon tagine. And then we had a very savory lamb and prune tagine. It was one of the most memorable dinners I've ever had. I was so full and the service there was phenomenal. I've never had such a better hospitality service in my entire life until I went to Morocco. And I I do want to say a lot of Asian places, you know, also have great hospitality, but not like this. They literally treated you like family where, you know, if you were cold, they brought you a blanket. If you had any questions, they were like just right there to help you and give you snacks if you wanted it. They they were just short of just rolling you into your your bedroom or your hotel room. So yeah, I wish I could go back. If I could go back to that, time and place and location, like I I would in a heartbeat. That's amazing. And I know on your website, Dash of Ting, you have some recipes for some low carb, healthy and amazing Moroccan dishes there. So I also want to ask you about the food scene in Brazil. Um, I know that you spent a bunch of time in Rio and I have as well. And I wanted to get sort of your take on that as well as your broader impression of Rio. I mean, one of the videos that you have is really an amazing video showcasing some of the street art in Rio and some of the incredible murals there. And the, you know, the graffiti scene is one of the things about Brazil that I appreciate the most. It's incredible in Rio. It's absolutely amazing in Sao Paulo as well, which you'll see when you go there, but it's just, it's such an amazing part of the culture. And I know that you've checked that out and spent some time there and stuff. So I'd love your overall impression of Brazil in terms of that, as well as the food scene in particular. Yeah. You know, when I think about Brazil, I feel like that's what I would call my first love. When you have just some place you've been to that 
immediately you just connect with and it's just magical. That's how I feel about Rio. The, the minute I landed, I was like, oh my gosh, this feels like home. This feels like where I should have grown up, where I should have been born secretly. And in terms of the food scene, I love it because the fruit there is delicious. Like every corner has like a fruit stand where you can get like mango smoothies. And then also, of course, the meat, the Brazilian barbecue is just really, really delicious. Even the meat from the market is still tastes way better than the meat in the US. And I just love the fact that the food scene over there is similar to the Asian culture where it brings us together. And I think the one thing about food that I love the most is the fact that it's used as a way to communicate and to show love. And I think being in Brazil, I definitely experienced that. That's so awesome. It's so amazing. I agree. And Tinger, how are the caipirinhas? Oh man, I drank so many. I think I burned a hole in my stomach because (laughs) (laughs) I did eventually have to switch to drinking beer because my stomach couldn't take all of the hard alcohol, sugar, and lime juice. It's aggressive. So amazing. It's so awesome. All right. So let me ask you this thing. Of all the places that you've been now at this point in your life, why do you continue to travel? What do you get out of it? What does travel mean to you? I just love traveling because I love meeting new people. I love hearing where they come from. You know how some people travel and they collect like keychains or shot glasses? I collect friends. (laughs) And I feel like no matter where I go in the world because I do this, I feel that the world is my home and I never feel like a stranger because I honestly feel that like anyone I meet is within like one or three people away from actually connecting with them. Like we must have a few friends in common. And surprisingly that has shown up while I've been traveling or if I need help or I'm going to a place I've never been to before, I literally put an SOS out on my social media. I'm like, Hey, has anyone been here? Does anyone have a friend in this like city or country that I could get some advice from? And people are like, people who travel, they just get it. They're so welcoming and they're so like open to helping each other. And I love that type of community that I find more so in the travel community than elsewhere. So I want to ask how you would sort of articulate the importance of learning about cultures and experiencing these different places through food and perhaps beverages as well. But how would you describe the importance of that? Because, I mean, just sort of contextually speaking, because I think for me, you know, I've now been a full-time itinerant nomad for about eight years and have lived on six continents and a whole bunch of different countries. And I think what's happened over time, the more that I've traveled, is that I have appreciated food and beverages and the significance of those a lot more. Like that's increased significantly. I think I wasn't as cognizant of how important that is when I first started traveling. And I'm wondering if you can just articulate that for you. Why and how is food so important to experiencing another culture or another place? Sure. So when it comes to food, I think I inherently love food because I'm Asian. I think most Asian people love food. (laughs) And love is taken lightly. I'm probably more obsessed with food. You can see that with all of the different YouTube channels on mukbang and ASMR eating, you know, to highlight. But inherently, I just find that food is a great way to communicate with each other. In my culture, like when my family serves serve someone food, it really means that I care about you. I love you. So for me, I've always shown, seen food in that aspect, besides the, the fact that when you indulge, you like can really enjoy the moment. More so like on my page, Dash of Ting, I'm promoting, yes, healthier foods, but I'm actually promoting culture through food. Because when you see food that you actually find enticing, or if you've tried food that taste good. It makes you curious about where did it come from? Like, how did they create this? Who are the people, you know, that created these recipes and what does it mean? And so I think 
with food, it just really sparks a curiosity that is unique, maybe similar to music and drinks as well. But it just makes people open their eyes and be more open to discovering new cultures because they're interested in the food. Because ultimately, when the food looks good and it tastes good, you're going to ask, like, where is it from? Like, how come I've never tried this before, right? Yeah, 100%. My personal impression, I kind of feel like Asian food, like the continent of Asia is sort of on its own level. (laughs) And then there's like the rest of the world. That's probably a controversial statement. I mean, probably the Italians and the French and all those kind of people are going to, you know, be like, wait, what? But I'm kind of serious about it, right? Like, what is your take on that? Because I really feel like for people that have watched Anthony Bourdain's content and stuff like that, you know, I mean, he would go to these amazing European regions and he would go to the Basque country and go to San Sebastian and stuff like that, which are just absolutely extraordinary, you know, culinary locations. But he would always say, the Basque country probably has the best food, but he would always caveat. He would say outside of Asia. Mm-hmm. There's kind of like this caveat where the continent of Asia is just what it is culinary wise. And then there's the rest of the world. Do you agree? Or like, how would you frame that? I mean, I'm going to be biased because I am Asian. So yes, <laughs> but you know, gosh, I had read an article or, or I watched some video talking about what makes Asian food unique compared to like maybe in like Europe or other parts of the world. And basically what this article was saying was that in Asian cuisine, you have taste, I guess, flavors are almost opposite of each other where you might have like sweet and spicy, or you might have like sweet and a little bit sour, tangy versus maybe in Italian cuisine, you have flavors that kind of are more complementary to each other or similar enough to each other that you might not have these like opposing flavor palettes that you could try. So for me, I just think that Asian food, it's not for everyone, but for me, definitely. And I think it just has like all these different complexities that I find more interesting than compared to some of the other foods. But you also have, like you mentioned, food in Lima, where you have like the influence of the Latin culture, but also the Japanese culture. And I think that also is quite unique and special too. 100%. And you had that in Sao Paulo as well. Huge Japanese community, a lot of Asian influence there and stuff as well. And it's, it is really interesting, you know, because there's so many places around the world where you have all of these different fusions happening. Literally, Cape Town, South Africa, there's like all these Peruvian <laughs> restaurants and stuff. And there's now this Peruvian fusion stuff going on in South Africa and all these places around the world, of course, right? And when I say Asia too, I mean, talking about the continent of Asia, like I'm not just talking about East Asia. I'm talking talking about, you know, South Asia, Indian food, right? And West Asia, like Lebanese food, right? Like the whole continent, there's just absolutely extraordinary food there. But I do have like huge appreciation, obviously, for all these other types of cuisines around the world. And it's amazing to go to South America, go to Europe, go to Africa, go to these other places and just try. I mean, Ethiopian food is one of my favorite cuisines on the planet of Earth, like bar none. Ethiopian food I could do like all day, every day. So it is just fun to just travel around and experience these things. And I now have, especially after traveling with foodies and people that are into food, or they're into wine or they're into this kind of stuff. I mean, this is entirely how I just educated myself on those topics and also the cultural appreciation that you get through food and wine, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. Have you tried West African food, like Nigerian food or food from the Ivory Coast? It is phenomenal. I, I mean, I like Ethiopian food too, but hands down, I love Nigerian food and I love some of the grilled fish that I had made by a family from the Ivory Coast. Oh, Yeah. So interesting that you asked that question because I just spent three months in West Africa in 2019. So six months before COVID, I was in West Africa and I did. I spent a month in Lagos in Nigeria. I spent a month in Accra in Ghana. I did a swing through the Ivory Coast for about four days. And then I spent a month in Dakar in Senegal. Mm -hmm. And it was just absolutely magical. And yes, all of the things that you're saying about the fish and the way that it's prepared. I mean, these are coastal cities, right? They're on the water. So a city like Dakar in Senegal, 
was just, first of all, it reminded me actually a lot of Rio Tinger. And I think that if you haven't been to Dakar in Senegal, you would love it for many of the same reasons that you would love Rio. I mean, there's this huge outdoor fitness culture on the beach and there is just like all this amazing stuff, but there's all of these, just such a fishing centric place and people are catching the fish and then they're cooking and smoking the fish and they have the fish markets and they have all this stuff. And it's just Really, really epic. So yes, West Africa has a very significant place in my heart for sure. I do have a question for you. Have you been to Madagascar? Because that is definitely one of the places I'm in countries I'm interested in going, but I've never been. I have not been to Madagascar. It's on my list as well. I've at this point I've probably spent about two years on the continent of Africa. About half of that time was in Egypt. And then the other half was sort of spread around between probably about 10 different African countries. But Madagascar, I have not yet been to, but I'm really excited to go back. Like I was supposed to go for in 2020, I was going to go and spend a few months on the continent as well. I've never been to Ethiopia, for example. It's like one of my favorite foods in the world, but I've never been there. I was going to do that and go to Kigali and Rwanda and some other places. But of course, COVID happened. So hopefully I'll be able to get back to the continent, you know, this coming year because it's just a really, really special place. Have you been south of Morocco? I've only been to, okay, so in mostly North Africa. So I've been to Egypt and I actually went to Tunisia about in 2019. Yeah, I think 2019 I was in Tunisia and it was different. It was definitely not like Morocco, definitely not like Egypt. I think it was a little bit more like Europe in a sense where it looked a little bit more like Europe in some aspects because they have a building that's similar to the Colosseum. And then they have this one area called Sibu Sayyid, which is like a blue city, similar to what you would find in Mykonos. So it definitely has a lot of influence from Europe. Yeah, it looks so different from the other North African countries I've been to. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you also in general, Tinger, about your tips for female solo travelers, women that want to travel the world, go to some of these places. What advice do you have for them? So Definitely ask friends who have already traveled to those destinations. You can ask them through your Facebook group or Instagram. There is a group I did join many years ago. It's called Girls Love Travel. They have over 1 million members on their Facebook group. And I've connected with a lot of great women from that group who also have a similar mindset of like helping each other. So that is also a great place where you can ask a lot of questions and connect with people who are from that region or are very knowledgeable about that region. And definitely do your research, you know, try to figure out like what it is about that area that you want to go to and why. And if there's like a particular angle, like, are you there for like camping? Are you there for like food? Are you there for romance, I don't know. <laughs> but whatever, you know, your purpose is for, there's going to be many communities on there either through Facebook and now even the app Clubhouse. Yep, which is actually one of the apps that you and I connected on. We're both on Clubhouse and following each other for people that are not on that app yet. So that's really good advice. I think there's so many amazing social networks out there and I've interviewed a number of travelers on the Maverick show that folks have heard, you know, that run some of those communities and different things like that. So I think that's a really, really good idea because when you plug into those virtual communities, you can get great advice and you can actually connect with people on the ground in most of the places that you're trying to go and actually meet people in person there, as well as get advice about, you know, where to stay or any safety tips or things like that. So I think that's really, really good advice. Tinger, let me ask you one more question before we move into the lightning round. Can you talk a little bit about just as an entrepreneur, your productivity routines, how you structure your day to optimize your productivity and your output for work, and also how you deal with stress. As an entrepreneur, we all know that the entrepreneurial roller coaster goes up and then it goes down. And so just mindset wise, how do you handle stress as a business owner? Sure. In terms of like, pacing myself. One of the things I do keep to help me with that is I use a program called Trello. It's T-R-E-L-L-O. They don't sponsor me, but I wish that they would because I'm a huge advocate of 
you know, actually writing down what you want, like what your goals are. And then once you put it down there, you can actually move these like goals into different columns. So you can see visually where you are in achieving that goal. And it's also available on your mobile app as a mobile app. So you can see like before you go to sleep, when you wake up, so you can keep track of the progress that you're making. And then just trying to use my calendar, like being an adult and using my calendar as much as possible to schedule meetings or time blocks of when I need to get specific tasks done. In terms of stress, gosh, when I do get stressed out, I do go on walks in the Venice Canal. I feel like seeing the water is very therapeutic for myself. Sometimes I'll watch Headspace on YouTube and now it's available on Netflix. And also I do tell myself, hey, you know, turn off your laptop, turn off your cell phone, and just relax and do something that makes me happy. Obviously, eating makes me happy. Cooking makes me happy. Talking to my friends on the phone makes me happy. And you know, those are the ways that I reduce stress. Could I be better? Definitely. But those are kind of my experiences and what I do to like help alleviate some of that. Great answers. I love that. All right, Tinger, at this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years you'd most recommend people check out? It is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. A classic. Good one. What is one travel hack that you use that you can share with folks? I would say talk to your friends, like reach out to your friends on social media. If you have any questions regarding on destinations you want to go to, people are always wanting to help. So give them that opportunity to help them. Awesome. All right. If you could have dinner with any one person, just you and that person alone for dinner and an evening of conversation, who would you choose? If the person wasn't alive, it would be Anthony Bourdain, hands down. He is what I aspire to be similar to because he's just amazing. I never thought that you could build a career off of like eating and drinking and traveling. And he has done that. And he was I was so sad when I heard of his passing, but he's not alive. But if he were, <laughs> that's who I would pick. It's a really good one. It's a really good one. Yeah, he was really, really special. And everybody that I know that is a serious traveler, he was just had a really important place in all of their hearts in terms of inspiring them, whether or not they were trying to do what he did professionally or otherwise, even if you were just traveling. I mean, he he made a, a massive, massive impact on on so many people. So I agree. He's a really special person. So, all right, Tinger, if you could go back in time knowing everything that you know now and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Tinger? I would tell myself, trust your instincts. Go with your instincts. Don't let other people tell you otherwise. No one has the right answers all the time and you just need to go with your gut. Awesome. All right. Of all of the places that you have now been, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you'd most recommend people definitely should check out? Rio. Go to Rio, Brazil. I love it. Oh, by the way, I went to World Cup in Brazil, which was a freaking dream come true. I love World Cup stuff. So definitely Rio, Brazil, definitely Morocco for the food and Mexico. I go to Mexico quite often. I know it's just, you know, like, a short flight away, but the hospitality there has been phenomenal. The food is great. Like they've always welcomed me with open arms. So I have to include that on my list. And they have amazing mezcal. And amazing mezcal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are there particular places in Mexico that you would recommend? Yes. Tulum happens to be one of my favorite. It was one of my favorites before it became influencer or trendy like hotspot. I also love the vibe in Cabo, maybe because I have friends there. And hands down when it comes to food and mezcal, Oaxaca. Oh my gosh. I love Oaxaca. Not that I need to or anyone needs to, but I do recommend losing 10 pounds before you go there because you will gain it all back in like three days <laughs> or less. So awesome. That's so awesome. All right. What are your top three 
bucket list destinations. These are places you've never been highest on your list right now. You would most love to go. Number one, before I die, I have to go cage diving with the great white sharks. And the best place to do that is in South Africa. So that is on my bucket list. Number two is Norway, but the northern part of Norway to go see the Northern Lights. I didn't get to do that last time. And because I don't really like the cold, but that is something worth sacrificing um, myself to go with me. And thirdly, I mentioned Madagascar, but top of my list is actually China. I've only been to Hong Kong and I haven't seen the rest of China. And I would love to go because that is part of my heritage originally from Taiwan, but my lineage does date back to China. So I would love to explore more of China and just kind of eat my way through China. I think that's an amazing pick. I have only been to Hong Kong and Macau, and I've also been to Taipei, but I've never been to mainland China. And I feel like it deserves at least a year of my time. Yeah. <laughs> it just It's so enormous. There's such a massive percent of the world's population that mm-hmm. lives in mainland China. And it's like, if you've never been there, like I've never been there then I just feel like there's just this massive part of the world that I'm just, you know, I haven't seen. And of course, anytime you see these lists of 100 most beautiful natural landscape things, at least 20% of them, 25% of them are all in China. I mean, it's just, they have massive cities. They have extraordinary landscape. They just have this amazing history, obviously incredible food, so much diversity within China and the different provinces. I mean, I feel like I need to just go to China and stay for like a year or two at least. Yeah, me too. That's so awesome. Tigger, this has been so fun. It's been so amazing to have you on the show. I want you to let folks know how they can find you, how they can follow you on social media, how they can check out Dash of Ting, if they're appropriate for Dash of Media, how they can connect with you there. And yeah, how you want people to come into your universe. Sure. If you're curious about food and travel, definitely DM me on Instagram, Dash Ting. I love answering any questions that people may have. I swear my friends would ask questions like, hey, how do I get the best flights, deals on flights? Like, where should I go eat? Like, they always ask me those questions and I love answering. I'm like their go to Expedia. (laughs) And then in terms of wanting to work with brands or brands are wanting to work with creators or they have questions with regards to social media, definitely reach out to me um, via email for Dash of Media under tinger at dashofmedia.com. I love that. We are going to link all of that up in the show notes. So folks can go to just one place at themaverickshow.com, go to the show notes for this episode, and we're going to have all of Tinger's contact information, her websites, all of her social media handles and everything else there in one place. Tinger, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. This is so much fun. And, you know, I haven't done a podcast where we're drinking. (laughs) (laughs) It makes it a lot more fun, right? It definitely does. (laughs) I definitely have not had um, this gal on any shows before. So this is fun. So thank you. Awesome. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber. To get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals, schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.